Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Rabbi Shimshin Scherer, who is here in honor of the 25th yard side of his esteemed father, Rabbi Moshe Scherer, about whom Art Scroll printed a biography, published a biography, was, what is it, uh, 10 years ago? I think 12 the years book, ago. 12, 12 years ago that the book came out. Thank you, Rabbi Scherer, for being here. My pleasure, my schuss. Very, very special schuss to have you here. We're obviously here to talk about the book and about your father. And, uh, you know, as I was waiting for you to come, I was thinking to myself, 25 years since the ptira of your father, what that means is that there's a whole generation of people, youngsters, we would call them youngsters, but they're not such youngsters who, who really never knew your father. Correct. Your father, as the head of Agus Yisrael, as, as really the face of Klal Yisrael in, in so many different facets. Talk about that part of it. The people like myself, I was a Bacher when your father was Nefter. But there are many people who didn't know your father. If you sat down with an audience of people who did not live at the same time as Rabbi Moshe Shar, what would you tell them in a few minutes? How would you describe who he was? What compelled me to do this interview was specifically because there's a whole generation that will never know who he was other than by reading the book or by hearing stories. But as we know, the axiom, Aim Doim Mishmi Olaria, will talk, will hear, will speak. But it's not a comparison to seeing him, you know, to watch his whole demeanor and to watch the way he was a leader. And the next generation, they're not going to be Zeichet to see. So that indeed is what made me understand, come to the understanding, a realization that on the one hand it's sad, but that's the way the world goes. Right. There's a new generation, the new generation, Be'ez HaShem, will have its leaders, does have its leaders, and they have siyata deshmaya, but need to know the past. When I was sitting shiva, when I was sitting shiva, there were many that came in and said there has to be a biography. And of course, and this must be said at the outset, the personal relationship that Rameya Zatzal had with my father, which we'll get up to a little bit. Lattowitz, obviously. Lattowitz. It was very, very unique, a very special relationship. I was like, Rameya Zlatowitz was certainly an older brother to me, without a question, as all his children are very dear to me. And he was the driving force. He pushed me and pushed me. But during Shiva, there were a number of G'dayli Oilam and lay leaders that said, there has to be a book, has to be a book. And some of those that said this to me didn't surprise me. Okay, they knew him well. And they knew that, it, uh, as many people always describe him as a larger-than-life figure, which is accurately put. And uh, it's okay, it didn't surprise me. There was one God Hadar that came to pay me a Shiva call that... It just threw me so. Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum, sits down to Menachem Olu. Shmuel Birnbaum is teide and teide and teide. I, I can't imagine he ever read a page of any biography. Mm-hmm. Okay. Efsha chreis a page of a Chofetz Chaim in Lashon HaKodesh, a biography or something like that. Sits down. And first, it was Ben Asdorim. But if it wouldn't have been Ben Asdorim, Rabbi Shmuel Birnbaum was coming to pay me a shiva call. I was so honored by it. And the Shiva, his opening words to me were, Es muss sein Buch of Taten. Really? And I was caught, not wow. just off guard. 
So I said that exact word. I said, really? <laughs> like, really? And he said something to me that was so interesting. He said, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. He said, you'll ask any Rosh Hashiva and any Yeshiva. They will tell you. There are boys in every Yeshiva out there that their dream is to be Klal Yisrael's next to Moshe No matter what Yeshiva you'll be in, there will be boys that have this dream. They want to be Klal Yisrael's next to Moshe But they think, I still remember, it's 25 years later, I remember sitting on the floor, and I said, but they think the way to go about being Klal Yisrael's next to Moshe is if you're a tumbler and you tumble in this, and you tumble in that chesed, and you tumble in this organization, and you'll be a tumbler all day in yeshiva when you're a teenager, oh, that's going to be the beginnings, and that's going to be the prerequisite, that's going to be my beginning of being the next Moshe Sharon in Klai He says, there has to be a book, and they'll see from the book that he didn't become who he became in Klai through Tumurai, he tells me. He says, someone told me, that when your father was a young man in Neri Yisrael in Baltimore, he was a Gavaldika Masmid. I said, that's really true. Really true. To the extent that during Shiva I told people, my father never, no matter all the Nishoyness and challenges that he and Uncle Mike had, Mike Chess, all the Nishoyness they had, they never ever expressed a regret. They felt so glicklock, so fortunate to be doing what they were doing for Klai Yisrael. The only thing my father ever said was, as a young fellow in Eliezer, he had a dream that someday he was going to be a major marbid tire, a major rove of stature. That was a dream that he had. Mm-hmm. He said, and all that, that he was going to be so involved in Limurat Torah, in Harbotas Torah, that all that couldn't come to fruition because he dedicated his life to be Klaiyu's souls. Asking, he, sometimes he would look at that and he would say, oi, and when I was repeating it during Shiva, many quoted me the Lashna Chazal that there were those that used to say it to the Pondavijarov, about the Pondavijarov, when he came to Eretz Yisrael and he was rebuilding literally from the ashes. And they would tell the Pondavijarov uh, to comfort him, to console him. They would say to him, Chazal say, Bitula Zuhi Kiyuma. Your Bitl HaTayra is the greatest Kiyum HaTayra. And people during Shiva would repeat this same axiom about my father. Bitula Zuhi Kiyuma. He shouldn't have krechs. So I said, I'll tell you the truth. I told that to my father many times. Did he take solace from that? A little. His main solace was, listen, Baron Cutler was mitzavim. This has to be his role in Klai Yisrael. He says, Baron Cutler said, this is my role. I mean, to, to the extent, the extent of Baron Cutler, it, 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 you know, everyone's talking about my father's subjugation and subservience to Das Torah. So talked about. So talked about. We're talking about a generation that didn't know my father. Baruch Hashem today, there's a, a tremendous amount of Amunas HaChomim and a tremendous amount of Bittal to Das Torah. But on the level of subservience to Das Torah that my father and Uncle Mike, that they had to build this organization, that level of, of, of subservience, Bittal, total Bittal, and a, my, a man that was so bright, my father's genius and all his capabilities, and he had a mind of his own. Sure. It was like amazing, 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 amazing Bittal. Do you remember any particular circumstance where your father, who, like you said, was the, he was the picture of charisma, sharp as attack. You read the book, and I remember seeing him at our good conventions. 
You remember seeing him? I remember, I remember him seeing him. You remember him in his heyday when we would get up to speak? A hundred percent. My oh. parents used to take me. Oh, your, parents, your father went every year religiously. My father went yes, and your still parents goes went. again. My yeah. parents went every year. Yeah, your father year. must remember my father in his heyday. Yes, yeah, sure. There was no one more charismatic. Yeah, that's true. I don't, know if, there was, my I don't father, know if there was a better orator. That's probably it was a I, master orator. I, I, we'll get to that. Keep that word in mind, charismatic. But I just wanted to give you one thing about yeah. Baron Cutler that my father wanted to be a Rav. So mm-hmm. parenthetically, when I was sitting Shiva, my father's in many ways closest confidant. There were a number of those people that would and Naftali Newberger from Baltimore, my Newberger from Baltimore. They were best friends from their Yusol days and all their lives. He was one of the only, there were a few others, but one of the only people that my father would have given a blank check to him. You could use my name, don't even have to ask me permission. Mm-hmm. And they did tremendous amount of Hashtadlonis or Askonis together. He walked into the house to be Menachem Avul. There was a room full of people. And with his heavy German Henry Kissinger accent, starts the conversation. He had a pocket full of, of, of letters. I don't know, at first we didn't know what it was. Papers sticking out of his pocket, coming out of his pocket. He sits down, and actually everyone got quiet. My Newberg is here. And he looks at the audience, very heavy accent. How would you define temporary? Okay, obviously, a question like that, he must have the answer. It's a rhetorical question. How do we define temporary? How do we define temporary? Okay. So I said, I said, Rabbi Newberger, <laughs> obviously there's going to be an answer that I don't know. So Rabbi Newberger, please tell us how we define temporary. So he takes out a letter that my father wrote him in 1942 when he left Ner Yisrael. And he writes him, Dearest Naftali, I now, Baruch Hashem, have tried out for six different shuls, for the Shtella to be the Rav in six different shuls. That was my father's dream, to right, be a Rav. to be a Rav. We're getting back to what we said before. Baruch Hashem, and he's reading this letter. Baruch Hashem, all six shuls, after my prabha, all six shuls offered me the Shtella. But none of those shuls are really to my liking of where I see myself being. So for the moment, I turned down the opportunity of, to be the role of these six killers. And therefore, temporarily, I've decided to join the Aguda and work, okay, with Mike. So my, Rabbi Newberger looks around at us and he says, that means that Rabbi Shera defined the word temporary as 55 years. Yes. Temporary. Because he wanted to be a role. And the Rabbanishim works in very mysterious ways. Because my mother's father was an orator at the age of 20 in Lita. He was born in the same shtetl as Moshe Feinstein. Those who look at the front page, the Sharblat of Igris Moshe, says Starobin. Starobin, the Moshe Feinstein's father, Rabdobin Feinstein, was the Rav in Starobin. My Zayda is a Starobiner. I'm named after him. In fact, I'm called Shimshi. But my Zayd, his name was Shimshin Zelig Hakoyin Fortman. And by his Litvisha friends in Litta, he went, he was called Zelig, not Shimshin. Mm-hmm. I'm, my name is Shimshin Zelig. He was called Zelig Starobene. When I had the schus to go in to visit Avshach, who was my Zayd's Chavrusa for years by Abyssal Zalman Meltzer in Slutsk. So they would say, Ramesh Sherah's son is here, Shimshin. So I would come in, Avshach would say, Nay, nay, Zelig Starobene, Zelig Starobene is the. 
So Maizeda was the Rav when he came after World War One. All the Nebuch, the Shtelis, and Lita, there was nothing left. And they were all desperate to, to and push it. And they had the young children, and there was literal starvation, nothing to eat after World War One. And all the Rabbinish Shtelis were. And Maizeda was seemingly such a, an orator that someone suggested to him that the largest shul in New York, the white shul in Farakaway, then it was the white shul, not where it is today in a different neighborhood, mm-hmm. is looking for a rov. And they think he'd be the perfect candidate because of his oratory skills. And my dad, his middle immediate response was, I don't know one word of English. Strike one. Strike two, I'm a coin. I can't go to the funerals. I can't officiate. I can't mm-hmm. come to the cemetery. So he said, go, just go. Your oratory skills are such. And he had that, you, the word you use, but we're going to take it back, that word in a minute, the word charisma. He had all that. And he said, just go. And Maizeda was desperate with the world one. He had major stellas, two stellas in Lita. And he came to the white shoe in Farakoin. And it seems that he must have mesmerized them to such an extent that after Shabbos, the board came to wherever, however's house he was staying, and they immediately offered him the shtela. Really? Maizeda couldn't understand it, and he told them, you saw Shabbos, can I name what English, not one word of English, I don't know a word. And he told again, the, the kuhuna. So they said to him, as far as koyin with Leviathan, we'll find, we'll find a solution to that. As far as English, we understand, but we were just so caught over Shabbos. It seems he was such a dramatic speaker and he had such unbelievable koiches. My father eventually taught in Tarvadas. My father taught, uh, it was called homiletics, a course mm-hmm. of public speaking. How did my father get that shtelda? Because my Zayda was asked by Bishlema Hyman and the Shagafai Mendelovich when he became the Robert of the to come once a week to give a homiletics class in Medrash to teach public speaking, how to give a sermon to all the many that were going to go out into the, into the rabbinate. Mm-hmm. Maizeda passed away as about there very young, and they asked my father to replace Maizeda. So that's how it starts. Wow. But anyway, here Maizeda takes the shtelda. They convince him to take the shtelda. The condition was that within a year or two he should learn. They will hire the tutor, and he will learn how to speak English. Uh, and in fact, the tutor, my, my aunt, Mrs. Hollander, I had an uncle who was a very famous rabbi, my, my aunt, Mrs. Hollander, once told me that the, the tutor in those years, we're talking about 1929, the tutor cost $5 an hour, <laughs> and they were teaching him English uh, via the New York Times. And my Zayd eventually got to speak English. Mm-hmm. But if, in the beginning, he spoke only in Yiddish. But what's, what's relevant to us here in this conversation, he was the Rav, 1929 through 19, June of 1950, he was all of 54, 54 and a half. And in June of 1950, he had a massive stroke. Layalayna, my Zayda had a massive stroke. Those years, we're talking about 1950, not that they know much today about how to deal with strokes, Nebuch, but in those years, certainly, so my Zayda, he was hospitalized. And they came to my father. In 1950, my father wasn't yet 30 years old, but he had shown the leadership uh, capabilities to whatever the Aguda uh, little fledgling organization with Uncle Mike dealing with the uh, Sheriff's Plate Jews. And, and they asked him temporarily, he had another word temporarily, temporarily he should be the Rav. Mm-hmm. Until his father in law, Hashem, will recuperate and he'll come back. 
How okay. many years had he been with Agudah at the time? My father started in 42, and this is 1950. 50, eight years later. Okay, and it was only temporary. And my father's dream, as Rabbi Neuberger read in that letter, to be a rov. was to be a rov, and that temporarily he was working in the Agudah, okay, as we're about to hear. So here he is, he, June of 1950, my father was the substitute temporary rabbi of the congregation till his father-in-law, Be'ez Hashem, would recuperate. June, July, August. I have sermons that my father gave that he wrote out um, June, July, that year. I don't, it must come out some of the years, in June, must be. I have sermons that he gave the Shavuos. I have the sermons that he gave Sukkot, High Holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. I have sermons that he gave on Hanukkah. Uh, here, my father, the Rav. Okay. Barashan works the way the Barashan works. February of 51, my Zayda passed away. They struggled to, to bring him back and for, for six months. But Barashan has his ways. My Zayda was all 55 years old. Nebuch. Ramesha once told me that the best friends that's from Kindaism, from the young age in Starobin that if he would have lived in America and he would have really, the world would have got to know him, who says, who knows how big he would have been, Rabzelik. When all the G'dayna from Luther used to come to America, he used to stay by Mesaid in the house. Panevish Rav used to stay all the time by Mesaid in the house. Murray Varabi Rebellion's father, Shmuel Leib, Shmuel Leib Svei, stayed many months at a time when he'd come, stayed by Mesaid. Kids, a story, during Shiva, from Mesaid, my Baba was I don't even know, I would, if I had to guess, I would say she was around 50 years old now, but a young Almonda. And the congregation, the board of the Kehila, came to the house during Shiva, and they went over to my grandmother, and they said, there's not going to have to be a Rebetzin Emeritus, because we are going to offer your son-in-law the Stella permanently. It'll be his shul, so you'll remain Rebetzin. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to give her... Words of Nechama, comfort her, so that there will be continuity, linkage, perpetuation directly in the family. My, 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 my grandmother was, was thrilled, I mean, even though she was totally tzabrachim, totally distraught, but oh, at least it's going to stay in the family. All right. My mother's sitting there, shiver next to her mother on the floor, and my mother didn't say anything, but you know, it's not going to be very simple, this, for the reason you're about to hear. I only said this story once over in public, and that was six years ago, on my, about my mother's levaya, this story. Mm-hmm. Because talking about my father, without talking about the Ezek Kenegdoi, that was his partner in building Agudas Yisrael, as Mrs. Tress was Uncle Mike's partner, it, you, you, it not only wouldn't do justice, it would be a, it would be a, a terrible avla if we don't right. talk about it. Right. So I said this by my mother's levaya. So the story is as follows. My father came home from their good office that night, middle of the shiva, and my mother told him, together with my baba, his mother-in-law, told him, okay, Rabbi caught, uh, no, that uh, the board offered him permanently now the shtella. didn't even wait till after the shiva was over. The shtella is his. Now, naturally, a young fella, and very Maizade had built up the white shoe, it started becoming what the white shoe was eventually to become. So they were all excited. So they're waiting, my father, and let's remember, this man only took that uh, 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 job in the Aguda temporarily, temporarily because he wanted to be a rov. Here it is. 
on a silver platter, no problems, no nothing. He, they had him. If you have Moshe Sheriff for six months as your rabbi, anybody's going to hire him, right? My father comes in, and they tell my father. My father looks at his mother-in-law, and he looks at my, my, my mother, a young Bible. He says, listen, I have to go ask Rabbi Aaron Kutler. I'm confident that my presentation to Rabbi Aaron Kutler will be such that I believe he'll answer me in the affirmative, will say, take the Stella. But let's know, I have to ask Rabbi Aaron Kutler. And just whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. My mother wasn't surprised because my mother knew my father's Baron Cutler his whole life was a Baron Cutler. As this book, Yonis Rosen does a terrific job in many things in the book, but in that, Baron Cutler, Baron Cutler. My Baba was very not happy with uh, that response. And she looked at him. Hazar Stella is being offered to you. Here, a Baron Cutler? And my Baba knew a Baron Cutler because my Baba came from the city of Slutsk. Wow. That Abyssa Zalman was the Rav and the Rosh Hashiva. So she knew Rabaran as a younger man, the young person. What? What's, the, what's even the question? What's Rabaran Kotler? Where you go? Up? I have to ask Rabaran Kotler. But he told her, and my father used to say, I made a mistake by telling my mother in law. Oh, but I think my presentation will be such that Rabaran will say he could take the Shtala. My father, he owned the Esther. He, he, he said he shouldn't even have said that. Mm-hmm. End of the story, as I said, when my mother's the liar. My father, I heard this both from my father and from Mary Rabbi Rabshneya, a baron's heiligus son, Rabshneya. My father went to a baron and he made the presentation and he pushed every button. He said, I'm going to be a Marbitz Torah. I'm going to be mamish, be able to go back to my life's dream and I'll be able to sit and learn and give over Torah to Klai Yisrael. I'll be Mechadish Chadushi Torah. Because one of the things my father loved most, what you mentioned before, his speeches at a good conventions, his, his clear and drush. Mm-hmm. to be innovative and to come up with Jewish thoughts that was classics of Ramayusha Shara. You see that a lot in his Sefer, that's right? That's correct. We have, we have here his Sefer, Here you see it. Here you yeah. see it. What you see here, here, here. here. That Kayach and Jewish. So, and he, he was so innovative in Jewish. I mean, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, literally to marvel at. So here, and he presented to Baron, a list. I'm going to be able to be Marbitz Torah. I'll be sitting and learning Torah. I'll be able to be machadish in Torah. And I won't have Sholem Bayis where my wife doesn't have Lechem Lechel because they are good. In the, <laughs> what are you? It was 1950. What was, what was Klai you saw in America in 1950? And the little there was when there were so many Tzibroch and Eden that came, I thank the work of Uncle Mike and the rescue organization and the Blaze of Silver and although my father was much younger. So what were they then? Like, so he made a presentation to Rabban. And you know, my father has, a, as you use the word for, for charisma, which we're going to be taking back soon. So here it is. And Rabbi listened to his presentation. And it's calling my dream to be a rov. Rabbi looks at him and says to him, There's nothing to talk about. It cannot happen, and it will not happen. That's not just no, or let's talk about it. He makes a presentation, So my father sat this, says to him, you're not going to understand what I'm about to tell you. But I have to tell you why, why the answer is no. So, there are much greater things in store for young Moshe Shara to do for Klal Yisrael 
than being the Rav of any one shul, no matter how prestigious the shtel is, and no matter how great your Habatzah's Torah will be and can be, there's much greater things in store for you than any one shul. My father's sitting there. <laughs> he never argued in about ever, but he says to Rashiva, much greater things in store for me. That binich, who he was a little boy, a thirty-year-old fella. That binich, what's binich? That binich. Now, always Uncle Mike. You see in the letters in the Mike Tress book. That's also an art scroll book. They call the Mike, and I think it's in there, but it's in here that he would urge my father. We need all. He he saw something in my father. So Baron obviously saw the same thing that Uncle Mike saw when he used to write the letters. We need you. We need you. And so my father says to Baron, "Who am I? Who am I?" Young fella, in, in, in February of 51, my father wasn't yet 30. Right? He was born June of 21. He wasn't yet 30. And then he says to Baron something else. He says, much greater things in store for me for Klayuso. What Klayuso? Who Klayuso? What Klayuso is Baron talking about? <laughs> 1950, what was Klayuso in 1950? So my father was like so like, he couldn't understand what the was saying. Mitzad the Klai Yisrael part, Mitzad himself. So Abraham looked at him and said to him, I said that you're not going to understand. But trust me, the day will come and you'll see that there are much greater things in store for you than being the Rav of any one shul. My father's dream went out the window. The temporary of Rabbi Neuberger, because he's trying out for Stellas. Here he didn't have to try out. Here he had the biggest Stella. Handed to him because he was the temporary rav while the shver was not well. And he's saying, and the parents telling him no, and that no was no. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to him. So as I said, my mother's Levaya. My father went home and he had to break it to his young wife. And my mother looked at my father, said, Tereshiva said no, back to bread and water. She didn't even ask my father. Tell me, what was his what reason? And my father wanted to tell her, maybe she'd be proud of what uh, her baron said about her young husband. Right. Shiva said, no, it's back to bread and water. Now, it certainly partially was because my mother had a munas chachamim, but it was much so she knew there was nothing to talk about. My father had such a munas chachamim. Uh-huh. said, no, case, you got it, case closed. But my mother was a, a very smart woman. <laughs> and my mother says to my father, Shiva said, no, it's back to bread and water. But I only need... One favor from my husband. You have to be the one to break it to your mother-in-law. It's the only favor. Back to bread and water is back to bread and water. But you have to break it to your mother-in-law. <laughs> okay. This is a pretty tough, uh, tough assignment. <laughs> he goes to his shviger, Aslutska Litvak, and he has to tell her that I'm not taking the Stella. He goes to his mother-in-law. My father used to tell over these stories, you'll hear in a minute, with such a sparkle in his eye and how grateful he was to my mother, except for this one assignment, that he has to break it to the mother-in-law. And he comes, <laughs> and he breaks it to his mother-in-law. That he went to Rashiva, he made a presentation, everything, every button he pushed at the Rashiva says, hey, take this now. But never underestimate Marna Baron. You couldn't manipulate Rabaran Kato. Nobody could manipulate Rabaran Kato. And he said, what should I tell you? He tells his mother-in-law, Mama, Tereshivat Kazak Nain, a nit stam nain, didn't just say no. He said, Bishum oifen nit. Bishum oifen nit. 
So naturally, my mother-in-law, my, my grandmother, his mother-in-law, had just become an almona. She's a young woman, 50 years old, and she knew that means that the shtel is going to go out of the family, right? Said, the man doesn't understand what he's telling you to say no to. Doesn't understand, doesn't understand. My, my father said, oh, you're a man for state dance. He understands his vision and his way and his seeing panoramic views of everything with every, every ramification, repercussion on it from every perspective. Oy, the state, my father says to, to his mother-in-law. End of the story, my father didn't take the shtella. Baruch Hashem, they, had, they ended up getting a very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. Rabbi Pelkowitz, sure. the R. Otskroll, Svarim from Rabbi yeah, Pelkowitz. Yeah, Rabbi Pelkowitz. Yeah, Taira, Taira, Odin, And he treated my, my, my grandmother, not like Rebbe's and Emeritus, but he treated her with all the dignity and all the covet, as he was a, a very special man. Oh, but it's not the same. Rabbi Pelkowitz is still not her son-in-law, and still not the family. So, like they say in Litvish Yiddish, my grandmother carried on an emiss of Bregis. Although what Bregis means, I don't know what the word is, anger, but it wasn't, whatever the word break, I don't know, Bregis, one of those Yiddish literature words, doesn't have a translation. She carried on a Bregis, as a literature Bregis, on her young son-in-law. Resentment, maybe. Oh, something. Good, <laughs> maybe, 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 but it's probably more, I don't know. Anyway, when Nebuch, my grandmother only lived 10 more years, and she was she, Nebuch, her petita was, I think, she was 61, 62 years old, in the early 60s. But she was really not very happy with her son-in-law. The apple of her husband's eye, his young Moshe, and she wasn't very happy with him. What changed? What changed? So here, we talk about the book, we talk about my father, we talk about a story, what it means to listen to Das Torah, siphon my father. We had that dream, as Rabbi Neuberger's letters attest to, and my mother had my lech and lechel back to bread and water. When did my grandmother uh, decide, Oiz Bregis, can't translate these words. When, when, when did she see the Sidus? So the end of March of 1961, which is exactly 10 years, my Zegda was February of 51, this is 10 years later, when the first time that all Klai you saw one morning wakes up, and my father's picture is plastered all over the New York Times, with his black couplish of cop and meetings that he had with President Kennedy and with the Speaker of the House, not Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy, but a, a man in his 90s, an Irishman from Boston, Massachusetts, named John J. McCormick. He was the Speaker of the House. And other dignitaries of such stature. And the New York Times is, 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 is reporting on it. My father's dream of aid to parochial schools, money to yeshivas, not being, okay, at all a contradiction to the First Amendment to the Constitution of separation of church and state. Yeah, it was a cholim that he had, a cholim that everyone laughed at. Like, what are you doing? It's against it's an open constitution, like right. they would say in yeshiva. Beferish connected, like it's against the constitution. Like, what are you dreaming? We'll get to Abayim with that too. So it got reported, and that day was, the, I think it was either March 29th, March 30th, the end of March of 61. And it was a major, major story. A man with his black yarmulke to get such coverage with a president, and he made a, he made a presentation either in the Senate or in the Congress or someplace. And the New York Times were reporting this whole drusha with the whole spiel. Mm -hmm. And everybody bought that morning's New York Times because such kiddush Hashem, he didn't have their own voice. Because let's remember, Ramesh Sher's goal, 
the goal of G'dayli Yisrael. Rabbi Chonavasman, when he spoke to Uncle Mike about giving everything up to go work for Klai Yisrael, that goal was, we have to have an authentic voice. We no longer can let those who totally forge and misrepresent what Torah is, those who don't even believe in Torah Messinai, they're going to represent us to help us to build Torah in America? They don't even believe in Torah Messinai. The, the, the reform movement, they're going to be our representatives. They're our voice, which was the case mm-hmm. till then. And now here it is, the beginning of Wu. It's not just like uh, an aberration when Uncle Mike was uh, to Amol uh, to go into secretary in the states and things in the government. Here, it's the beginning of a thing on a whole new level for the Aguda movement. And everybody bought that day's New York Times. The only one when I came to Yeshiva that day, I, I think I was in second grade. Where were you learning then? Torah Semester was only part of it. I was in uh-huh. Yeshiva. And I think, okay, I think I was in second grade. First, I think I said great. The only one that didn't know about that day's New York Times in my class or by the Rebbe's table by breakfast was me. <laughs> Everybody was tumbling about their parents went out and bought that day's New York Times and the whole thing. <laughs> my father didn't tell me. And he had his reasons. And everyone knew about it. The kids, someone that day brought my grandmother that day's New York Times. A neighbor right there. My grandmother still had the rabbits in shul, right? A, sh- a house, house right across, you know? And a neighbor did her a favor. They brought the Alta Rebbitson, who wasn't so old. They brought her a copy of that day's New York Times. She said, what's happening here? My father was all of 40 then. Right. Like, like, what's happening? And everyone was like tumbling about it. She's reading, she's looking. New York Times has very long pages, and she's looking onto her dining room table to spread out the pages, to look here, look there, to see his drosha that he made in the Congress, and to see the pictures. So my, my Baba, Allah Shalom, called up the, our good office. Now, that good office, as my father would say in those years, was as big as this here, these two chairs and this table. Uncle Mike had a, as a milk crate as a desk and a milk crate as a chair. And my father had a milk crate and a, a, yeah. a, a, as a chair. On those scissors. That was it. And she calls up the office and she says, Neishe, I want you to come right now. Come right now to Farak where I have to speak to you. Okay, now for 10 years she was carrying on, in a, you know, in, in, in a, to a certain extent, Khalil or not, the Slipvishabregis. Right? Because the shul didn't stay in the family. Come right now. My father immediately ran to Farakaway. He had no idea what he's in for, what's going to happen. No idea. Comes to Farakaway. When my Baba brings him into the dining room, when she shows him spread out on the table what her neighbor brought her that day's New York Times, and she says with a big smile, with a tremendous sense of nachas and pride, she says to my father in her Litvisha Yiddish, Meishe, Meishe. Weisen, weis It would seem, clearly would seem, as was the Shiva had gesagt, ten years zurück, for Saban Kotler said ten years ago, that there's bigger things in mind, okay, for you than anyone should. Weisen, weis It would seem, clearly seem, Egerengerecht. He was right. And I was wrong. When my father would tell over the story, Rebitzi 
with all his sparkle in his eye that you refer to as charisma, he would tell over the story with a sparkle, and my father would say, so what's the moral of this story? What's the lesson from this story? I have no idea if this is in the book. I don't think, well, the way I'm saying it, certainly not. So he said, what's the lesson of this story? Saying, what the greatest Torah sage that America had in the 20th century could not persuade my mother-in-law of in 1951, the almighty New York Times influenced and persuaded her in 1961. So never underestimate the power of the media because it seems to be so powerful. So my father would always say, what a story. So Rabban Cutler, it was Rabban Cutler that had that vision that even my father couldn't understand at the time. And let's remember, this, that was in its infancy. This is 1961. My father was a young man. Right. Things started falling into place as years went on. They started building a reputation. And, and the Aguda started having its own strong, articulate, authentic voice. Mm-hmm. Okay? Of Torah and Torah and, and, and an understanding of integrity. And, 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 and there is no such thing as diluting Torah. No compromise when it comes to... And, 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 and the nations of the world and people, Jew and non-Jew alike, respected that. Right. No I wanted comment. to point out, which I was saying earlier, is that, you know, if someone is weak-minded in mind and thought, it's one thing to be deferential. Your father was a brilliant man. That's the, that's he was a brilliant thing. man. He was well-read. He was a Talmud Chacham. Big time. He was able to think for himself. Big time. There was no such thing. So when you talk about his deference to Das Torah with such bittel for such a person, no that, that was, that and, was and the that would be, I, I'm told that uh, the Aguda is going to be having a, a video that they're giving out in the day of the yard site on the, all over, and that they went to many G'deli Yisrael to, to speak, and all the G'deli Yisrael said the same thing, that if they have to think about what they marveled most, is that he had such a bittle, a bittle means a subservience, a bittle to das Torah to G'deli Yisrael, people that would have been giants, Bismarck Kivega, to, to Rabaran Kotler. And then Rabaran Znifter, that same to das Torah, deferring whatever word you want to use, he showed to Rabbi Shneia. On to Abaran's Talmud eventually, to Murray for Rabbi Rebellia, by Yishvei, to say, he was dealing with their Rebbe, with a, 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 a total, total, whatever you say, Rabbi He did the same thing. And those that are being interviewed, like, I'll tell you so, for that all good said, video, all said that point. All say, and like you're saying, because he had a mind of his own. Right. He, but he didn't have a mind. So getting back, so here it is. Baron Kotler told me you can't be the Rav. Rabbi Neuberger, we've got to get back to how we started here. Okay, we're trying not to go off on tangents too much. So Rabbi Neuberger said, temporary, but he's going to be a Rav. Ois Rav, Ois Dream, because Baron Cutler said no. And slowly, here it is, 1961. Okay. But all his work for eight to parochial schools, you're talking about, we're talking about now from 61 to, to 2023. It's probably, to say that it's trillions of dollars is probably not said enough. Trillions mm-hmm. of dollars that Klai saw benefits from it. When I was sitting Shiva, so Rabbi Aaron Tversky, who did a tremendous amount of work for my father on the legal aspects of it and never took a dime. And as things started falling into place, and my father had first originally a defeat in the Supreme Court, and I wrote him a letter, a beautiful poetic letter, it's in the book, that can't give up hope. Mm-hmm. Tarnish me, I've written a poetic letter. Tarnish me, I've 
and everybody was being mechazikim, and he was putting up this battle. Aaron Tversky told me during Shiva, said at one point, he said, I, see, I said to Rabbi Shara, if we would have had to pay lobbyists to do the work, to get any level of success, to get funding from the government for yeshivas, it would have run into very big money. So if you don't want to take the money personally, Rabbi Shara, Okay? So 1%, and then when I was seeing Shiva 25 years ago, I think it tells me, Lama Zogna, it's a billion dollars till now. 1% of a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine what it is today? He said, my father looked at him, like, almost like a, he was like upset with him. He was disappointed. What are you saying to me? What's the suggestion? I'm selling my oil and haba, my ticket of oil and haba for money? And, and he wouldn't hear of it. And he, and, and he wouldn't hear of it. But in the end of the day, and this is something people need to hear, not just subservience to Das Torah, but people need to hear. When my father had to prepare one of the first presentations to President Kennedy discussing this dream of eight to parochial schools. So President Kennedy invited 12 different leaders of different religions, of different denominations. There were two representing the Jewish people, one pro, my father, and one con from the Federation, and they were from the parochial, from the from Protestants, from the Catholics, all there making presentations to President Kennedy. My father had to make a presentation, which seemingly he's asking for something that goes against the American Constitution. Mm-hmm. My father asked many rabbonim, should he wage this battle? Most rabbonim said, it's like a lechta. This is the Yiddish word. Like a lechta, it's a joke. Never going to happen. What are you wasting time waging a battle for something that's never going to happen? But the last word was always a baron cutler. And he went to a baron. And they told the baron, this plan, they were, let's wage a battle for eight to yeshivas, eight to parochial schools. So the baron said, if I was need, why not? So my father told me, because it's against the Constitution. Now the baron never heard of the Constitution. And my father said, and many rabbonim are telling me this word. It's a galechta. It's never going to happen. So a baron cutler looked at him and said to him, and this is your name, my dear. He said, one of the three of us, the three of us, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, one, and we know all three of us, each one is a pillar holding up the world. One of the three of us, that's the pillar that holds up our world. His name is Yitzchok. No? Sounds familiar? The name Yitzchok. Yitzchok, a baron, says to my father, even though his name was Yitzchok because of the simcha they had, that he was, they were going to have a child. But when everyone hears the name Yitzchak, they'll all remember. They're not going to remember the simcha that they had. It's going to right away bring to mind that Sarah Imenu, when she first heard the Bsura, they're going to have a child, she at 90 and he at 100 years old. It's a galechta. It's a joke. It's a galechta. So Abayim said to my father, why would the Abishta leave a name? Of one of the three Amudeh Oilam. Why did he leave one of the names of one of the three patriarchs, Yitzchak, which many will think their first reaction hearing the name, they'll think means the negative connotation that Sari Imenu said it's a Galechta, it's never going to happen. The Rabbani should have, should have changed his name to a name that doesn't bring right away to the forefront of one's mind. Oh, Sari Imenu said it's a Galechta, it's not going to happen. Give him a different name. From a public relations standpoint, don't give a name like that. So if the Baron called to my father, the answer is, 
Because the Rabbanu Shem wants us all to know that indeed, from what some might have called a galechta, an impossibility that can't happen, from that galechta is Gabayin was born an Amud Ha'olam, a pillar that holds up the world, Yitzchak Avinu. So the name Yitzchak had to stay. And if there will be those that will think in it as of a negative connotation, open, let them think it. Let them know from that galechta that there were those that said it's a galechta, from them, Dafka, Dafka, deliberately Dafka from that, is going to be built. The Amud Ha'olam, Yitzchak Avinu. So he says to my father, there are those that say well, you're, the battle that you want to wage for eight parochial schools is a galechta? From the galechta, tafka from those that are saying doom and gloom and to waste the time. Uh-huh. Okay, we have to wage the battle. Why am I telling this to you? My father took out a piece of paper and a pen, and who helped him make the legal presentation by that meeting by President Kennedy in the White House? None other than Murray Nabaran Kotler. Nabaran Kotler never heard of the Constitution, never heard of the First Amendment. Ate the parochial uh, separation of church and state. state. What's make the that? What do the words mean? And my father would tell over the story to Yeshiva Light. And he would say, Kindlech, when the Mishnah says in Pirkeyovis, that a Godel Hadar not only will say the most famous Shia from the Baron Kotlam, Baba Basar, and Cherdel, and Baba Metzia, Koldal, and Gova. It's not going to just be a Baron Kotler saying, Shurim on the Kalabach, Lidam, Kivega. The Zelba, the same Baron Kotler, who never heard of the Constitution, who never heard of the First Amendment, in Torah, you'll find everything you need to have the wisdom and brilliance. Hmm. And his presentation to President Kennedy, that was the forerunner of everything that was eventually going to take place, was a presentation from Murray the Baron Kotler. Oh. So you talk about, my father would say, people always ask me, where did you get this Das Torah? To such a level of bittle to gedayli yisrael, so, so my father said, "The truth is, it's really a munas chachamim. A munas chachamim is built into Yiddishkeit." I said, "But the truth is, if you see b'chush, the brilliance of these people, it's not a kunz that mm-hmm. you're a maimid in such brilliance." Mm-hmm. So even though he was a very brilliant man, my father, but he saw. So just that alone, here it is, a baron Kotler telling him, they're saying it's a galechta. Yitzchok Avinu's name from Nagalechta was the Amud, the pillar of the world, the second patriarch Yitzchok. That's why it stayed that. From Nagalechta, that's when we wow. dafka. And he gave him his presentation. Eventually, that was the forerunner of all the success. And Als Kumfantayah, from Das Torah, from a man of the caliber of Baron Kotba, a Yochid Bedore. And that's when Agudis so went on. And they had the next generation of Gedolim. Some children of the Afriyadik Gedolim, some Talmidim of the Pascal. But my father would say, they have the same siyata dishmaya as the previous generation. He would say, doesn't mean that a some level, some same level goyin. Mm-hmm. A Baron Kotler maybe would have been God Ladara, a God Ladara is Manda Vega. Doesn't mean that the next ones, maybe yeah, maybe no. He said, but, he said, what does that mean? He says, if Hashem chooses them to be the leaders of the generation, he'll certainly give them the exact same siyata dishmaya. Mm-hmm. He says, and that's all I need. I, okay, want to take their siyata dishmaya, which will be, a, and I would look at my father sometimes and said, you know, I was a young boy then, I was a little cynical at the young age, you get a little better as you get older. I said to him, you really believe that? 
that there's people out there that's possible they could have the same siyat d'shmaya the way you saw a baron kotla? He said, absolutely. He says, I believe it because I see it. I believe it because that's the survival of Am Yisrael. And certainly that and only that could be the survival of Agudas Yisrael. And he believed it until this day. People that are grandchildren of the Rabbi and Kotler. But the Siat Dishmaya, we have to believe they have that. And we have to believe if, if a God will be a soul tells you who to vote for. And some of us say, what does he know? Mm-hmm. Let him stick to the Gemara. My father would say, Oy vey, let him stick to the Gemara. is a Matthias. And that was what Baron Cutler taught him. Now, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned before about the day the New York Times came out. Everyone knew about it, except for you. Growing up, you grew up in a, in a, in a house, in a warm house. Your father was the warmest, most cordial person. What, what was that like growing up? And did you know... That's a very fair question. Did you know that you were in the presence That's of greatness? That's a very, very fair question. Very, you know, they say sometimes when you peel the curtain away from great very, people, very, very, very that's when question. you find out if they're it's really, they're really great. And, and, and probably children really know the truth, what their parents really are. Right. Because sometimes people could fool, not the entire outside world, but you can fool many people. But you can't fool your children. If your children are honest with themselves, and not just automatically, my father is the gift to the humanity, right? So children are the really, they're, they're, they're the best. To, so it's a very fair question. You know, I said by my father's Levaya that my father had four children. My sister Rachel, my sister Elki, little Shimshi, and Agudas Yisrael. And I said it, and Agudas Yisrael was 24, 25 hours a day. Seven days a week. Chalamoyed, Yontiv, Shabbos. If there's a problem, Afilu Kippur. Seven days a week. So I said, by the way, he had four children. And I could have so was in the walls of our house. It was in the DNA of all of us. And the DNA of Klai Yisrael was in all of us. And it was four children. So many people during Shiva, they, they would come in and say to me, didn't you say it in the wrong order? You said Rochel, Elki, Little Shimshi, and Agudas Yisrael. He had four children, but wasn't it the other way around? Agudas Yisrael was number one, and you guys were two, three, and four? I said, no. If you talk to me in hours and time, 100%, Agudas Yisrael was number one. But if you talk to me about how, what he showed his children, his devotion and his love and his caring, I don't know. I've asked my sisters, I've, asked, I've discussed it with my mother many times. That magic that my father convinced us that he loved us more than anything in this world and we were number one to him in love, even though he was 25 hours a day preoccupied, Klal Yisrael and his slogan, Rebbe Yisrael, the individual Yid and then the collective organizational Yid. And it was true, he's 25 hours a day, especially when we were younger, certainly. But I don't know, we were not two, three, and four and they are good, mm-hmm. it was number one. There was something in the house that he was able to convince us, okay, that we were first, that he loved us and we were first, and with all his love and all his belief in Agudas Yisrael, but we were still first. I don't know how that was, so yes, mm-hmm. growing up now, so did I know that he was a, an unusually special, gifted person, and that eventually he'd become what people refer to him as a melech, or look like a melech. It's, it's a very interesting question. He went out of his way in the house to just let his hair down, let us see, like, uh, I grew up, 
he would, he, my father had this thing, as gifted he was in public speaking, he was so gifted in telling stories. So he made up fictitious characters that I grew up with, okay. and all my sisters, and my, my children were still younger, but they, they also, all my sister's kids, and my sister, my, some of my kids when they were younger, Mandy, all my kids, my father had characters. They were called, Pinchicle was the boy in Yeshiva, my father's character, and uh, Pinchicle's sister was Hanna Fufula, right? Or Pinchicle's Rebbe, or Rebbe Goldberg, the Goldberg, Hanna Fufula's teacher was some lady, Miss McGuire, don't ask me how Miss McGuire got it. And we were brought up with stories every Shabbos morning at seven o'clock in the morning, I would go into my father's bed and the landlord of our house in Borough Park would be upstairs singing with such a nigga all safe for Tillum. He was upstairs. Tired, and we were downstairs, and every seven o'clock, seven, I was in my father's bed. That was my time with him, and he would tell me a pinchical story with Hannah Fufula, with Miss McGuire, Debbie Goldberg. I would walk to shul, and he had all these stories: the flying sukkah, the chocolate matzah, <laughs> right? And there are pictures in the book towards the end chapters that talks about the family, the personal family, right. of my father sitting with grandchildren. And you look at the picture and you can see how he's so into the story, telling his grandchildren about Pinchikol and Kana Fufula, and Nishka Shleik, what's Pinchikol and Fufula, and Rabbi Goldberg, and the flying mezuzah, and the flying matzah, and the chocolate matzah, and the flying sukkah. And there was always a moral at the end of the story, which almost all the time was that you got to give your life for the next one. Uh-huh. Can't live for yourself. Uh-huh. So I grew up in a house. Hey, my father, was, he's a regular, regular daddy. Uh-huh. Pentacle, but kind of fufula. Anyway, yeah. No, was he around much? No, but the time that we had with him, those Shabbos mornings, or for example, going to shul every Shabbos morning, walking to shul it was early in the morning. There was only an average of two from a year in every single block in Borough Park in those years. So I really had it to myself walking to shul. And you, you were the only boy, so you're only walking boy. your father. It to was shul. quality time. Quality time. Beyond quality time. But as the only boy, I want to, I, this. I wanted to ask you. You're the son of Rabbi Moshe Sherer. Growing up, did you feel, did you ever feel a pressure? They say, they talk about children of greatness. Children of great men very often, they cave to the pressure. It's just too hard and they throw in the towel. I, I want to tell you, I can well, Was that ever a struggle? I, I can appreciate that, certainly can appreciate that. Whether in yeshiva, Rabbeim, I'm sure Rabbeim looked at you and said, oh, so I, I, Rabbi Sherer's I, I, son. I told someone yesterday a story. I was a little boy in Camp Maguna. And other kids could have been misbehaving. It wasn't terribly misbehaving, but doing the same thing wrong I was doing. I wasn't saying Omen Yeshme Rabba properly enough by Kaddish. Uh, I, 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 I was a little bit late for davening. I was a little kid. Uh, I, I didn't keep curfew to the minute. And other kids were doing the same thing as me. But by me, oftentimes they would say to me, you're at Moshe Shara's son. You can't do this. So I told someone when I was a seven-year-old boy and I was in Camp Baguda, Bongalif, and I came home after the summer. Little kid, told us yesterday son. And I said, Daddy, it's so difficult being your son. Oh, really? It's so difficult being your son. If I would have known, I was only seven, that it would hurt him, there's no way in the world I ever would have said it. I said, it's so difficult, it's so unfair. Other kids do the same thing I do, and they don't get gay. You're a Moshe Sherer's son. And he looked at me, I told his son yesterday, he looked at me and said, I'm really sorry. I hope someday you'll be proud that you're Moshe Sherer's son. Wow. But I'm really sorry. 
Wow. So I told this person yesterday, many years later, when my father, my father was putting on my kittel, right before I'm walking down the chuppah, I took him and I hugged him. I said, it never was difficult being Rabbi Yisrael's son. It's the most proud thing in my life. It's the happiest thing of my life that I'm Rabbi Yisrael's son. And he knew that I was referring to way, 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 way back. back. So before we get to the charisma thing, we have here my father's safe of Ishtayin Naim. My father, Bishtayin Naim, was put out by Art Scroll many, many years ago. And he writes a preface, he writes a hakdamah to Bishtayin Naim, to his holy sefer with many of his drushverta. It's very difficult Hebrew. but it may. So I want to read you a closing paragraph towards the end of his preface to answer your question. Not that I feel pressure, and not was it hard for me, but I want to read you what my father, obviously, he thought mm-hmm. as far as the children. Mm-hmm. So here it is. Bishtei Nayim, right here. He writes a paragraph in the closing of his introduction of his preface, almost at the very end of his preface. He writes, with a special, special obligation. I'm coming here to express my deep, deep gratitude. To the chalik, to the poor, so great. For over 40 years. Now, the book, the Epstein 9 came out 15 years, 15 years before. Years before yep. To the chalik in my work for over 40 years. To my precious dear wife, Maris Devaira. All my work, I have to express my which absolutely true, as we said before, back to bread and water, right? That she gave her life, in the Ruach, the spirit of Torah that was so embedded within her. But for the fact that she was a daughter, one of the greatest Rabbanim in originally in Russia, then in America, okay, my wife, now listen to the next words. My dear children. When I saw this, when this cipher came out, I read this paragraph, I went running to the house. I think I was in the house. I went running upstairs. They sacrificed. They paid dearly a very heavy price. In that, they had to tolerate a lot. Me bow from a husband, um from a father, Shaosa Leilis Kayomim, that he gave up night and day to give his life to Klaiso in communal work. And for their tolerance and patience, and their understanding to let me do it. They're worthy to stand. Wow. I read this, I went upstairs and said, Daddy, what are you talking about? What did we sacrifice? Mommy, yeah. Mommy, 100%. But we, your children, what in the world did we sacrifice? What does it say here? Hikrivu, they sacrificed. They paid a heavy price. I said, the love that you showed us, what does this mean? And he looked at me and said to me, really? You don't feel that way? I said, absolutely not. 
And when I said by the Levaya, he had four children, I deliberately said, our goodest Yisrael was the fourth. Mm-hmm. Maybe time was not, but it was the fourth. But obviously, oh. by my father, if you would have asked him the question, did we feel pressure and did we feel that sacrifice? He obviously lived his whole life. Uh-huh. He was cognizant feeling, of that. Yeah, feeling that thing. And, and, and it was so far from true. I made a statement by his Levaya in front of tens and tens of thousands of people. I made a statement and I said, for the last 20 years of his life, he was the busiest man in the world. The last 20 years of his life, I never missed a day that I didn't say hi on the phone to him. Unless he was in Eretz Yisrael. There are people that told me during Shiva, I think Rabbi Ryden from Rocco told me he had Balabatha in his shula told him that they heard that, that Rabbi Shera spoke to his son every single day the last 20 years of his life. What father, when you're not busy at all, speaks to his son every single day, married son, right? And they said, he told me Rabbi Ryden, there are people in his shul that said if Rabbi Shera could do that with his son, they want to commit themselves to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. As I said, and the reason that was is because my father was truly my best friend in life. Wow. And people came to the shiv and said, how could you even say that? He said, the man was so busy with Klai Yisrael. I said, it's true. But to me, he was daddy, Pinchko and Chana Fufula and it all. And to me, it wasn't this business with the sacrifices. Uh-huh. How he managed to do it, I don't know. But I want to get back to something you said before. We talked about charisma. So we talked about, you asked about bittel, subservient, subjugation, the das Talked about that for him. That was, he saw it almost as not even a challenge because he saw it. Proof in the pudding. Baron Cutler's genius. Look what he did. JFK, when years later, people would give him all the credit that would happen to him, all the monies that went to yeshivas. My father said, One second. I had a partner, I had a speechwriter, I had a partner, a Baron Cutler. You're like, give him, uh-huh. give him credit. <laughs> well, my father was very, very gravely ill towards the end. So one of the last visitors that my mother allowed in, because it, not only because the situation was so grave then, but you, you wouldn't recognize, here he is, that melech look, what you described in the beginning. In Nebuch, he was really, all the treatments, it was very difficult. Took a toll. Very, it took a real toll. But Ramesha Reichman, who there is an art scroll book on his life, Ramesha Reichman came. And he asked my mother if he can come special from Toronto just for 10 minutes. Just wants to come. Now, of course, he didn't say oh, to say goodbye, but that's in essence what he was doing. And he came to see my father. When he came to see my father, he was, was certainly one of the last that, we, that my mother let in. They had an unusual closeness and respect for one for the other. And we all walked out of the room. So the gist of the conversation, we'll never really know in its entirety what it was. But when we came back, we were able to pick up on some of the things my father said to us, mm-hmm. that what Mr. Reichman must have said to him in the give and take of that conversation for the 10 minutes. Came back in the room, and somewhere in the middle of the conversation, my father says to me like this. He says, I don't know, books gonna be written about me, articles gonna be written, so obviously Mr. Reichman, books, articles, I'm a man of history. I said, I don't know if any of this is true. So obviously, whatever he said, I don't know if any of this is true. Books, I'm a man of history, I'm a, I'm a legendary. All these, he says, I don't know if any of this is true. He says, but I want to ask you a favor, he said. If ever people, he says, if they're ever going to write about me and they're going to attribute a part of my success with the siyat and that I had, that he was saying he was so weak at that point, but he wanted me to hear this point. If they're going to attribute that I am a man blessed 
with great charisma and charm. Now, it's obviously something Mr. Reichel must have said, something along those, I don't know, he said, I don't know how it was said, or maybe he implied it, I don't know. I have no idea what that conversation mm-hmm. was. My father loved him, respected him, so I have no idea what that was. He said, but if it's going to be said, he kept saying, I don't know if they're going to write about me. I don't know, man, a history, I don't know. But if they're going to write about me, that a, a part of my success was due to my charisma and charm. He says, please, my son, don't let that be said. Wow. So listen to this. So I looked at him, I said to him, Daddy, you said this before. I said, Daddy, who in the world, Jewish world, Havel, not Jewish world, who has more charisma than you? Who has more charm than you? Like, it's true. Who has more charm than you? Rabbi Yankiv, when Rabbi Yankiv told him he can't grow a beard, and he was astounded, and Rabbi Yankiv said to him, because in my opinion, it says in Chazal, Hadris Ponim usually means a beard. But in Moshe Shera's case, maybe you're a part of your success for Klai Yusor as our representative in all in Yonim, whatever it might be. Maybe it comes because of the way your Hadris Ponim is without your beard. And then he said to my father, if I'm not right, it's a Sophic if I'm right. And even if maybe I'm right, you can't grow a beard. My father was like astounded sitting there. So here he is. I said to my father, what's going to be so wrong if they say, as Rabbi Yitzhi just said, a very true statement, who had more charisma and charm than him? So he said like this. It's so important. He said, <laughs> just uh, parenthetically, that period of time, Bill Clinton was president of the United States, and he was going through a very difficult time right there. On, right, and it's always has to do with Jews, whatever it is. A very difficult time he was going through because of his quote-unquote charm, right? So he says to me like this, my father. He says, every Friday night, you sit down and you sing Eishas Chayel Miyimtza. And you proclaim the words of Shleim HaMelech and Mishlei. Sheker HaChein Vehebel HaYayfi. Charm, Chein, charm, bluff. It's absolute bluff. Sheker HaChein. Yaifi, Hevel. Charisma, Mitchamp, Bluff. So he says to me, Shimshala, you start your Sudas Shabbos proclaiming it's Bluff. Shekhar Achim. And then you eat the Sudas Shabbos and you sing Zmiris. And then you're about to bench, Birchas HaMozen. And in Birchas HaMozen, we beseech the Rebbein Shem, Bamura Milamdu, Aleinu Leinu. And we ask the Rebbein Shem, V'nimtzachim, he says, what just happened to you? You started your Suda proclaiming, it's bluff. And you end your Suda with, what happened in the course of the Suda? What well, he asked, schizophrenic, like, like what's, what's happening to you? So I remember, I don't remember if he said it from a Nitzv, or something. I don't know, he said it from somebody. I mean, his mom is talking so low, he, was like, he says, the answer is, if Chaim, will ever be defined in English incorrectly as charm and charisma, which he said was, which was really what's reserved for politicians, the charming, the charismatic. When we define it that way, Chaim comes along, he says, or is it a bluff? It's one big bluff. But if a youth understands that the word Chaim cannot possibly mean charm and charisma. 
Because at the end of benching, we say, <laughs> So he says to me, Hashem. He says, so I want to ask you something. He says, What? Noyach was charismatic to the Rabbi Yishlam. He was charming to the Rabbi Yishlam. Or we're beseeching the Abish that end the bench in Rabbi Yishlam. Nimtzachem be'en Give me charisma in Rabbi Yishlam's eyes. He says, from that you see, Chen can never be defined as charm and charisma. Because that's Sheker, that's bluff, and Sheker has no kiyam. Sheker can't have atzlocha. Kush de koi. Emes has a kiyam. Shikra loikoi, sheker has no kiyam. So chen of the chen of the English definition is sheker. But when we ask for chen be'ene Hashem, he says, you know what that is? In, in Berches Kahanim, we say, v'yichuneko. What's v'yichuneko? We ask, the Rabbani Hashem gives us a bracha, that we should have, what chen should a yid have? The chain of the koyin should be stolen as a bracha. The chain of kutzeh berichu kivayachol. As my rabbi Rabbiyo said, some soifer once, get lecha chain, divine chain, divine chain. Betnim, we ask the Eibushter, Rabbanishim, please give me that chain. Be'en elekim, something from the divine chain. That's what we ask for. So if it's sheker chain, it's Bill Clinton's. It's the politicians' chain. If it's chain that you're going to be matzliach. To be able to build an organization with Siata Dishmaya, that's not charm and charisma. If anything, it's antithetical to charm and charisma, because that's bluff. It's Be'en Elekim, the Rabbanisham is giving you a getl chachin. He says, so please don't let it be said that I had charm and charisma. But throughout the Shiva, every politician that came, the first thing they would say to me from Giuliani on, everybody, they would talk about my father's integrity. Mask him that he never asked for anything for himself. Every time he asked for a favor, he never asked for anything for himself. Never. And the next thing they would all say, I still, it rings in my ear. Every politician would come and says, and his charm, and his charisma. <laughs> Nobody had such charisma. And then charisma. you would think back to what he I said. I think back, and this is what he would say. And, and there, there are many Yidin that you look at them, they will get benched with a, an unusual chen. Take, for example, Rabbi Vam Pam. Nobody could tell me, and, and, and it would maybe, if, you, if you're not a thinking person, you would maybe say, Rav Palm, he was very charismatic and very charming. But when you think about what my father was teaching me at the very end of his life, you can't say that about Rav Palm. Or, I would be remiss if I didn't say right now, Marie Virabi, Shmuel Kamenetsky, Philadelphia Rashiva, Shmuel Ben Ita Etel, Mahilig Rashiva, Marie Virabi, Azachin. Azachin, he's talking beloved all over Klai Yusuf. Azachin, you're going to come to me as a Talmud, you're going to tell me, Shmuel, he's very charming and very charismatic. When I was a young man, I would have said, you're Don Tutin, right? He's, right? But when I heard this lesson from my father, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Shmuel has the DNA of his Heiligatata Rabbi Yankif. And there's a chen, that's a getlucha divine chen that they have mm-hmm. within them. And that was the Hatzlocha that my father and Uncle Mike and those that were the Shutvim and the Gedele Yisrael, there was a Gavisa Chen that they had, that there was a Chen that was the Emes. And through Emes, ooh, you could conquer the whole world. And it wasn't just charm and charisma. But when the books come out about my father and all the articles that come out about my father, I got to make this speech, hang up a sign, please don't say that he had charm and charisma. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because if I would tell it to someone, he would, <laughs> think, he would think I'm nuts. 
How can you say you said it right in the beginning of this conversation? I didn't, I didn't know when I said that that I was opening up a Pandora's box. Uh, that's there. It's true what you said. Uh huh. It's true what you said. It's mama's true what you said. Wow. It's really true what you said. Now there, there are many people listening. Many people are going to go out now, and especially in honor of the 25th yard site, to buy the book to remind themselves of of who we who, who we miss, the void that was left. Uh, really irreplaceable. Really irreplaceable. He was he was one in a generation. I don't think we've had anyone to be able me, to step into those shoes. Rabbi Bender told me many times. He had a very close Kesha. He, for a small period of time, he even worked with my father in the youth division before he, Hashem Yisbarach gave Klaius Olamatonu that he went into Chinuch full time. He told me that he took his young children to my father's Levaya. And he told his young children then a statement that he says, at the time he knew it was true, but as years went on, he said, it's more true now than even when he said it then. And he said, it wasn't something that he had ever said. He told his young children in the car, I don't know if it was on the way to the Levi, the way home for the Levi, I don't know. He said to them, what you are here, this Levi, Ramesha he is truly irreplaceable, cannot be replaced. And when he said it to me, I said, listen, the brother should make sure everybody will have a replacement. He said, no, no, no. If you understood really what your father was and what he was, he cannot be replaced. So I don't know, I, I believe David will give us people, but that's the word that he told me. As the older he gets, the more he, he mm -hmm. believes that that's true. So there's no question that the, 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 the Minsker Rebbe in his Hespid, in one of his opening lines, said how grateful we have to be to the Abish, to the Rebbe that he gave us this matana for our generation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no question. What would you think is the takeaway for simple people like us, whether people who are involved in Askonis and Shtadonis, and especially those people who are not? Right, so, what, no, what, so what, number one. You, no, spoke, you spoke about your father's devotion to his family that's right. vital. You spoke about his deference to, to Gedele Yisrael. What, and what do you and think? He, he lived his life knowing he had a responsibility to Klai Yisrael, every Reb Yisrael, and every individual. But I would say, in Camp Aguda, that very last summer, that his doctors did not want to let him go. No, it wasn't the last summer. It was, during, it was right after he, he went into remission, Bar Hashem, for a few years. It was the summer right after he had gone into remission, and the doctors were afraid that he should be surrounded with little children in the camp. They used to hug him, and they used to make mm -hmm. a whole spiel when he came to the camp. And the doctors didn't want to let him go. And my father felt he had to go. It was his life, the camps. Just to see Yiddish kinder in a camp. And he had to go, and the doctor finally gave him permission. They made a deal with the doctor that he won't shake anyone's hand, that he didn't even keep the deal. And then, the whole famous story. When he got up to speak, he was really, he was a skeleton of himself. He, he eventually did get back to that charisma and all that. But that summer, he came to the camp, was after going through treatment, came to the camp, and he said, Kinderlach. As long as the Rabbanu Shalom gives me air in my lungs to breathe, I will go around telling people, you cannot live for yourself. You must live for others. And then you are first gliklach. How do you translate gliklach in English? Then you are first lucky, whatever, I don't know. Fortunate. Fortunate, lucky. Some words in Yiddish have no chance. <laughs> then you're first gliklach when you realize you can't live for yourself, you have to live for everybody else. The first takeaway is, Klayusol, we're, we're too small, we're small people. And the Rabbi Hashem gives all of us koiches, 
There are certain hanhogis that we literally could emulate the Eibishter. And it's not just giving you mahu afata. Mahu afata means he gives you the tools, the wherewithal, and the capability to have the rachel v'chanan, kivayochel. The Eibishter's rachel v'chanan, the getl chachain that we're talking about. So everyone, you can't live for yourself. I would walk at my father's little boy to shul. We say that was my time, my private time. My sister didn't even have that. That was me. I said, tell him, get up and come to shul, and you'll have it. <laughs> and so often he would tell me, she, everybody could be me. Now, when I was younger, I, then I clearly didn't realize who I had as a father. But I did realize to a level, and this was going on after that New York Times thing that I didn't know about, right? At first, I knew about it in school. And he's telling me, everybody could be me. And I couldn't understand what he meant. He said, if everybody would live their life and know you were put in this world on a mission, we're all put in this world on a mission, and we're given the tools, the tools to execute and the tools to be successful on that mission. And we would understand a big part of that mission is you can't live for yourself. You have to live for others and then know you'll be fortunate for yourself when you do so. Mm. He said, then anybody could be me. Now, of course, that's uh, <laughs> not exactly right, but... But what he, his point was true. The that was, those away, were his marching orders. Yeah, everybody was here on a mission. You, have, you, live, you can't live for yourself. just want to end this whole thing before yeah. we close. Because I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. In the Rabbi Meir's Ladowitz biography, it says that once we were walking home, I believe it was Simchas Torah, and Rabbi Meir was very, very young, and my father loved him so, and then he eventually became my older brother. And... I believe it was Simchas Torah in the afternoon. And my father met him on the street. My father hugged him and kissed him. Not something he did very often with people in the street. And afterwards, when he walked away, my father said, See this fellow, Mayor? He's so brilliant and so bright. He's going to make a major contribution to Klayuso. I looked at him. I said, Wow, I know Mayor. At that time, I think maybe then, no, yeah, Mayor, I think he had a few kids. But I knew him. He started off as a camp a good boy. Camp Monk stole him. Camp Monk used to take all the talent. They used to end up like Camp Monk, Baruch Hashem, right? <laughs> but what? He's going to make a major country. He's so brilliant and so bright. And it's in the book that my father made that prediction of Amaya. My father had a gift from the Eivishter that he was able to assess talent, talent and believe in them before they believed in themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of those people was Amaya. My father had a Special reverence and love for Rab Nussin by Sherman, without question. But Mayor, as a young man, had a Kesha to my father, and my father believed in him, told it to him, and I'm a young boy standing there. My father, I think we were walking to Minka on 14th Avenue, and Barabak Simkastar, and he was walking, I don't know, and, and my father said that. And that, that part's in the book. I believe not in that book, but this, uh, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this to you. Not in that book, but I believe it's in one of Rabbi Krohn's books, but maybe it's in the, uh, Rabbi Zlatowitz's biography. And somebody's, it says that I had a close relationship with Rabbi Meir Zlatowitz, and the first Shabbos that our Kehillah moved into a beautiful building, no longer being in a basement, rented from a yeshiva, and we moved in, and G'dayla Rabbanim gave us the honor that they came to our shul that Shabbos for a Kiddush, and no, nobody was coming for me. They knew that my father was coming that Shabbos to honor me being there for Shabbos. Nobody came for me. Anyway, Meir already was having a difficult time walking in life, Hard to walk, as in, in, even in the earlier years. He walked very far, and he walked to come to our shul for davening that Shabbos. Now, 
I think it's in Rabbi Krohn's book, or it might be in the one, a recent book, or it might be in the biography of, of, of Meir's. It says, and he said he came because he wanted to give me chizuk, and he wanted to show me how much he believed in me. This is what, he, this is what it says in the book. What's missing, whatever book it's in, either Rabbi Suli Besser's book, or one of Rabbi Hezegon's book, was missing, is the real part of the story, which is, when I came to the shul that Friday night in the new building of our shul, there were boxes and boxes and boxes, many, many, of brand new sedurim for the shul, boxes and boxes and boxes of chumashim for the shul, and each one, each one, and you were talking many, 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 not like one box, many, each one had inside a sticker in honor of the Rav, wow. okay, each one. So when he came Shabbos morning to the shul, a big walk for him, and he came to mechazik me because he believes in me and all that. I said to him, Mayor, I'm so touched that you walked so far. I believe Gedalia, Reb Gedalia now, I believe he walked with his father at Shabbos. I said to him, Mayor, I'm so touched that you walked here to me, mechazik me. But then I said, but you know you're here for my father. He said to me, absolutely not. I'm here for you. You'll hear my father speak. He said, I'm here for you. I speak to you, Father Lord. I'm here for you. I said, maybe I have only one question for you. Besides, I'm so grateful you walked. What are you giving me so many boxes? What does the shul have at this point? Uh, 30, what did it have in there? So you could have given one box. Would have been ample, sufficient for what the kehillah is right now. One box of slurim, one box of commotion. But you, you can't imagine how many boxes. You can come to the shul. There's still that, those, those late stickers. Boxes and boxes of sudurim and chamoshim. And he looks at me and says to me, let me tell you something. I was giving all these sudurim and chamoshim, not for this Shabbos. I believe in you. And I know that you're going to make it in this field and this kehillah is going to be successful. And that's what I was doing. I was giving the boxes for the future, not for today. Wow. I looked at him, I said to him, Mayor, it seems to me that what you're doing is reciprocating the belief that my father believed in you. You're reciprocating that and you're trying to show me you believe in me. I said, there's only one difference. I'm not Mayor Zlatowitz. My father believed in you. He says to me, no, no. He says, there is no difference as far as me and you, Mayor Zlatowitz. He says, maybe the difference is I'm not Ramesha believing. Your father was Ramesha believing in me. And he reciprocated with such a belief in me, Mayor, that throughout the years, reverberating and resonating off the walls of our Kehillah on not only a major amount of articles for him that he would constantly send, but was the belief, not me, a belief in a Kehillah, a belief in a Kehillah that a mayor, that forever and ever our Kehillah and me personally, okay, have such a debt of gratitude to a man who was a visionary of Abbas's Torah, unparalleled, not, no way to describe but for me personally, that it wasn't even true. What's, what's he believing? Who am I? Who am I? But he gave me a chizik, that Shabbos, the walk, but all those boxes and all the stickers that was something uniquely special about Ramea, that's what really is the fundamental yesoid of the Hatzlocha, of the Siat Dishmaya, of the Heiliger Art Scroll Mesorah, that nothing, nothing was insurmountable. Mm. If you follow Das Torah, as he so did, okay, there's nothing insurmountable. So for me, to be here today, on a very personal level, 
I'm sitting here with you. I have such nachas from you on a very personal level, on many levels. But the nachas that my father had from Rab Meir and Yibad Lachayim from Rab Nassim, the nachas that my father would have from Rab Gedalia, and from the whole chevra here, the whole chevra here. The truth is that the circle, it came full circle so, with the publication of the book. And my sitting here today, right. it comes full circle. It comes full circle. That the stickers in the Chomoshim and Sedurim, he's walking to my shul, and it wasn't just one box, and I looked at him like he was off his racker. It comes full circle in the belief that my father had in him, which was there, it was warranted, there it made sense. His belief in me made no sense, but it was a chizik of my life. And it was so similar coming back to the very beginning of our conversation. Turnabaran Kotler told a man 30 years old, okay, there's much bigger things in life for you than any one shul. And my father took that, and my mother said, back to bread and water. But they believed in that Torah. I thanked the Rabbi Yisham that I believed in people such as my dear, dear Chava Rabbeya, or Mehelega Rabbeya, Mariv Rabbi Rabbeya, who was the driving push for me that seven years ago, by the 25th anniversary of the shul, was the only time he ever came to Flappers for a Shabbos. He surprised me wow. to be part of our Kehillah's hmm. celebration of that 25th anniversary. At the time when they pushed me to become a Rav, wasn't something had any, any cheshek for whatsoever, for a hundred reasons. But my father said to me, how could you not listen to your Rabbeim? And then he said, besides for the fact that they happen to be right, <laughs> but it doesn't need to hear right, not right. How could you not listen to them? Mm-hmm. And Meir was one of those that pushed me so in such a big way that besides for all the other love that I feel for him and that spills down to his children, he spoke by every one of my children, Simchas Meir Zlanowitz. Really? And oh. I spoke by many, many, many of his kids, Simchas, mm-hmm. even though he would get nervous, you're speaking too long, <laughs> as I am now here, but he would say, he would say, you're speaking too long, but I'm going to still ask you next time, which he did. We should be zeicher, that from a mayor from his lichter gegeneden, when you bought a lechaim toim rab nosen, the ganze chavraya, ganze chavraya, should be zeicher to be mamshech this avodas hakodesh, with continued hatzlocha, to give out the true, unadulterated Torah Akdoshah, unadulterated, no compromising, unadulterated, that's Torah. As my father did in Nagurus so, as art scrolls doing through this Heilagah Vedas HaKadosh, and together we should be Zoycheh Bekarif, to Tansa Kegel Mashiach, with all these Jews, and my father, was first thing he's going to tell me when he comes back, when Mashiach comes, he told me, Shimshi, don't forget Mashiach is an Agudist. I know Rafi is going to tell me the word Mashiach is an Agudist. Okay, Mashiach is an Agudist. We should be zeichet together, Rabbi Yitzchak. The Tanzakeg of the Sheikh to Kenu Amin Yomi. Amen. Thank you again. My great honor.